Well, uh, we are beginning a new series today, which will go for about six to seven weeks. Uh, and we've called that series The Blueprint of a Healthy Church. So it's a series about the church, its structure, its leaders, etc. And today I want to talk about the call for leadership. And that is uh, the title of my sermon today, The Call for Leadership. Now, before we begin, I think for many of us, it's extremely difficult to listen to any sermon in general <laughs> or any sermon series, especially one on the church. Uh, and especially now this week when bigger issues are out there. And maybe you're like, come on, <laughs> give me a, a series condemning Christian nationalism. We do. We're part of a universal church. Give us something condemning insurrectionist and violence. We do. Uh, that was despicable. Or maybe you're not that all interested in the insurrection that happened this past week, and I'm not <laughs> really sure how, uh, but you agree we need to talk about real issues. And you think, not the church. <laughs> do a series on marriage. Or maybe you feel like your kids are out of control, and you're like, let's do a parenting series. You know, Give me something practical, something with I can, I can handle, something that actually speaks to me. Well, hear me out. The church has everything to do with all of those things. If the church actually shepherded and discipled its people out of nationalism, out of white supremacy, where would we be today? And, and do you know where God most tangibly meets us? You want to be practical? You want God to care for the things that are meaningful to you? How does he do it with his body, with his people? the church. And so anyone who's ever fallen on difficult times, uh, who, who, who's been plugged into the people of God, knows this to be true. The church is his chosen instrument to care for you. Like if, you, if you're a member of a solid Bible-believing, Christ-exalting church, and you get sick, watch what happens. People become selfless as they care for you. You lose your job, Watch how the people of God rally around you in support. Like the church, for better or worse, is very relevant. It has great power for good. But it can also shirk those responsibilities. And here comes the second reason. I think it's difficult to talk about the church. You know, as we get into this blueprint of a healthy church, maybe all you've known are dysfunctional churches unhealthy churches. And so now because you've been burned by the church, it's hard to let yourself be vulnerable into hoping maybe this church will be different. Maybe the church leadership sinned against you, overlooked you, used you. And when that happens, we, we, we protect ourselves. Like whenever we want to shut out the possibility of being hurt, we put on armor the self-defensive mechanism to, to protect us. So what armor are you wearing today? Yes, our, our, our armor will protect us from being hurt by the church, but it also can be what's dragging us down. It can also be negative to us. And, but I want to be very careful here because many of you are still sore from fresh wounds from church leadership. And you're, you're very protective right now. And, I, and I'm deeply, deeply sorry for that. I'm glad you're here. And so feel free to just rest and heal while you're here. 
But this is actually why I want us to do this series. Because we've seen scores of unhealthy churches, unhealthy leadership structures, unhealthy toxic settings that have just ravaged the local church and have left the people of the church as a whole wandering and looking for an identity. And so we need healthy foundations. We need blueprints. We need structures and systems that will guard against that. Amen? And so as we plant Mosaic, I want us to talk about how we can set these structures, these systems, these people up in, in, in place to do our very best to prevent, prevent that from ever taking root. And so this is a series that will leave no person untouched from, from the leadership to membership to just basic Christianity. We need a blueprint for a healthy church. And so this series is monumental because by the end of it, we're going to do we're going to actually nominate people from around you into official leadership at Mosaic, which would be the first time ever at our church. So it's a big deal. But leadership is a word that describes more than just official leaders. Leadership is something that every single person here, from the oldest to the youngest, is called to. And so whether formal or informal, recognized or unrecognized, leadership is a given in any church, right? In fact, leadership is a given in any society or any, any form of, of structures that we have in our world. Like when kids play football on the playground, someone picks teams. When volunteers get together to clean up a neighborhood park, someone organizes it. When friends get together for a book club, someone chooses the books and plans the discussion and so, like, every human community has some form of leadership. It, it is a given. We need, we, someone has to, to take the first step. But not all leadership is healthy. Some might say, we need strong leaders. Leaders who are willing to be brave and courageous. Amen. People who can say the hard things. Yes. Some might say a definition of leader is this. Is anyone following you? Which I would say, that, that's a... That would be a, a definition of a leader. That, that seems to be right, right? Someone has to be following you. But that can't be our only definition, that if people follow you. Because hundreds of, of people followed one leader's encouragements to show strength to our senators at the Capitol this week. And that may have been leadership. People followed it. But that was leadership of a toxic variety. <laughs> and so what is biblical leadership? What does Jesus or Paul have to say? What type of leadership do we want the people of Mosaic to be marked by? What do we want our leaders to be marked by? What, do you, what would you want in a leader? Well, the Bible gives us three pictures of leadership that I think run counter to what we see in the world. The three, the three, three pictures of a leader, we see the, the servant leader, the steward leader, and the suffering leader. And let me say that again. The, the servant leader, the steward leader, and the suffering leader. Got that? I love my alliteration. All right. <laughs> One of the most infamous passages where Jesus flips, not tables, but he flips leadership on its head is in John 13, where he shows us what a servant leader is. And the opening verse is in verse 1. We didn't read it here, but we're going to go back. Verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, you see what he says there? He knew his hour had come 
That's the scene setter. He's about to die. He knows it. He's about to leave this world to return to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. All the way to the end. And then Jesus raises from eating dinner, ties a towel around his waist, then took a bowl of water and began to wash his disciples' dirty feet. And before you say that, that's typical Jesus doing kind of typical radical things. Like, yes, but, but it, remember how shocking it would have been. Like, Peter's astonished. He says, no, you can't wash my feet. But Jesus replies, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And then in typical Peter fashion, he's like, oh, okay, well, then don't just wash my feet. You know, get my hands and my head, too. Jesus shuts that down. But, but foot washing was the duty of a servant. Like, even rabbis did not expect this of their disciples. But now you have the teacher washing his disciples' feet. I mean, do you know how nasty that was? They didn't have socks or tennis shoes in that day. <laughs> it's nasty. <laughs> Jesus, knowing his own deity, was willing to wash the feet of his, these jealous and ambitious disciples. Jesus flips the whole leadership thing upside down. In verse 14, he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you also ought to wash another's feet. And so if I can serve you, if the God of the universe can serve you fishermen in ragtag group of apostles, like you can serve other people. Don't you see how Jesus just flips our leadership model upside down and asks, not can you serve me, but how can I serve you? I, I, I had a, a taste of this act when I, when I applied to be part of a, a Christian leadership group in college. I know, I'm pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and to be accepted into that, you had to do all of these community hours. You had to put on this you know, big service project. Uh, you had to keep up a certain GPA. But then the last hurdle to get through, uh, to be accepted, was to come to this interview, as they called it. And at the interview, there was the top leadership there. I was a lowly freshman at the time. And these were seniors, so much older, so much wiser. Uh, you know, it was quiet. It was somber. And I was oddly stressed, like, what is about to happen? <laughs> but then they asked me to sit into a chair, take off my shoes, and they washed my feet. And I was profoundly uncomfortable. <laughs> my wife knows it. I hate when people touch my feet. I was like, I, I hate this. <laughs> I'm so dang ticklish. <laughs> but what they did in that moment, <laughs> when I was able to be serious. They revealed to be true leadership. They weren't going to lord over me their leadership. They want the best for me. And so they showed it in a, in a very vulnerable way. It gave me so much respect for them. And that leadership is one you actually want to follow. Jesus condemns the other type of leadership. If you're under leadership that says you live to serve me, that's not leadership. That's selfishness. True leadership shares the power shares goals. True leadership asks not what's best for me, but what's best for you. True leadership isn't how can you make me look good, it's how do I make you look good. Like the traditional leader sees leadership as a, like a rank to obtain, whereas Jesus says it's an opportunity to serve. And he says it more emphatically, as we read earlier in our liturgy in Mark 10, 42, he says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You want to be great, you got to be a servant. A after all the chaos that happened this past week, 
There are pictures of the capital maintenance staff cleaning up broken glass and debris, trash everywhere. And then there was a representative from New Jersey, a guy named Andy Kim, son of a Korean immigrant, there on his hands and knees picking up the trash. Was this too lowly a job for him? An elected official? No. That is greatness. I mean, we see this to be true just naturally. You want to be great? Serve. If I'm at church and someone just starts serving, like you're like, that's leadership. If I'm at the soccer fields and a, and, and a kid comes and on his own accord, just picks up the cones and brings them to me as a coach, I know that kid's a leader. Like, I didn't even ask him to do that. Like, so you want to lead? Serve. That is the picture of leadership there. The next picture that we get for leadership is the steward, and that's not a term we use a lot. Um, a steward is one who is both a servant and a master. And so as a servant to their master, they are wholly accountable to their master. But as a steward, they, they, they are also a ruler with real authority to, to grow and prosper the resource under them. And so I think the best example for this is like a general manager of an NFL team. So Jerry Jones is the owner, and he hires a GM to be the steward of his team. But in this case, he hires himself to be the GM, which usually doesn't work out well. Uh, but, but usually, you have an owner who entrusts his baby to a steward to manage it. And if a steward uses his power well, then he gets rewarded. But if he uses his power selfishly or exploitively, like the master will remove his authority. Paul explicitly uses the, the term steward as a model for all Christian leaders. He describes his own ministry as stewardship in 1 Corinthians 9. Then in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, we were ministers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. And then you can look in the beginning, in the garden, God commissioned Adam and Eve to have dominion and were called to rule over every living creature. This is a call to leadership, but also stewardship, to steward what God had given them. God made Adam and Eve rulers over the works of God's hands. And yet, one of my favorite verses, Psalm 24.1, says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is all of it, is the Lord's. And so what unhealthy leadership misses is that everyone thinks that their business, their family, their children, or even their church is theirs. I mean, haven't you seen leaders assume that their church was theirs and their kingdom to build? The, the people are yours. Like when we moved here, uh, when we moved to, to plant this church, Grace, which is another Acts 29 church here in this city, they said, hey, come speak to our church. Take as many folks as you can get. Like we want to plant and we want this thing to grow. It was, it was oddly generous. They like said, these people aren't ours. Go. It was beautiful. The steward leader knows none of this is mine. Like my kids aren't mine. They're the Lord's. Our job, our money our facilities, our resources, our people, our giftings, whatever it is, it isn't mine, it's the Lord's, because everything is the Lord's. And so godly leadership acknowledges that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and I claim no ownership of that. But even so, as a steward, I'm responsible for what we do with what God has entrusted to us. And if the Lord blesses you to have people in your care, where, however that looks, our job isn't to exploit them for all they are worth. They don't live for our kingdom. 
It's to cultivate them for all their worth in God's kingdom. And so we never want to look at one another and yell, mine. <laughs> doesn't, that, doesn't that come off bad? Like, no, they are mine. You, you, are, you are the Lord's. But if you've been entrusted in our care, then we have a duty to steward you, to put you in the best position to grow. And that growth means discipleship. It means mentoring. It means, it means shepherding you. There's many ways we can do this. Our, our job is not as, as a night watchman just that just says, like, let's just keep the wolves away. We'll sit back. Like, that's too passive a, a picture of leadership. The biblical picture is more like a gardener tending to his garden, asking, how do I make this thing grow? What does this plant need? What type of soil? How much sun? How much water? How do we help it grow? And we're not just talking about numeric growth and saying, let's have more people at the church. We're, we're saying, how do we have this plant become healthy? How do we care for you so that you grow? Jaja shared a quote with me this past week that just really struck a chord, Jaja through Devin to me, um, from a woman named K.J. Ramsey, and she said, spiritually abusive churches don't set out to be abusive. They set out to be amazing. Spiritually abusive churches don't set out to be abusive. They set out to be amazing. <sighs> Man, that struck me. <laughs> Is that our goal, to be amazing? Or is it to be healthy? Like we can all feel that lure to be amazing. Like we can all feel that lure to curate our own brand and our self-worth so that we, we are amazing to the people around us. That, that woman goes on to say that we, we've confused numeric growth for godliness and follower counts for faithfulness. Scrolling and downloading and buying and sharing and tithing in a codependent dopamine dance to be dazzled out of our discouragement. We're all addicted to being amazing and we're addicted to being amazed. Whew. We're addicted to being amazed. Ouch. May we slow down, tend to our hearts as we tend to a garden. May this church, its leadership, see all of us this way. And so you have, you, have the, you have the servant leader, you have the steward leader. Lastly, I want us to look at the suffering leader. Let's go back to that, that epic scene where Jesus is washing his disciples' feet. Let's go to John 13, 2. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper he laid aside his outer garments and taking a tally tied it around his waist. Do you, do, you, do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus knew he was going back to God. He knew he was about to be betrayed by Judas and he washes his feet. Knew that he was going to have nails scorched through his veins. Knew that he was going to be spit on knew that he was going to be mocked and literally crucified. And yet he washes his disciples' dirty feet. He washes Judas's feet. I mean, this is going beyond the servant leader. Jesus is serving and suffering for those who would betray and abandon him. Leadership is death. Robert Quinn, a leadership professor at University of Michigan, joined others and point out that the, the origins of the word leader means to go forth and die. And so the Christian life is not about trying daily, but dying daily. 
A leader will never sacrifice you for themselves. They will sacrifice themselves for you. If they don't, then they failed you. Like you can see this sacrifice as parents get up early to get kids ready for school or when a child offers up their seat to the new kid in class or when at great cost to you or your career or those around you, you speak up and out and when you lean into hard conversations, you sacrifice. This is where we root out and distinguish true godly leadership from that false self-serving narcissism that's so evident in our world and even the church. This is what Jesus does for us. Philippians 2 tells us this beautiful way. It says, Philippians 2, 6 says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Y'all, this is true leadership. (laughs) He empties himself. He serves. Though a king, though Lord over all, he's obedient, even to the point of death. And so it's all right there in Philippians 2. The servant, the steward, the sufferer. Like, that's who you follow. Like, I want to follow a leader like that. Follow Jesus and follow leaders like that. That's who, that inspires us. Like, you see, this is not a call to those who just see themselves as leaders. It is a call to all Christians. We serve because he served us. We sacrifice because he gave the ultimate sacrifice. And so one thing that really irked me this past week, as I was watching this whole thing at Capitol Hill unfold, was seeing these flags that say, Jesus saves in the midst of this. And there was other Christian banners that were going on as people were climbing the hill to take power. What they thought was theirs. Y'all, this could not be further from the gospel. Our king didn't climb a hill to take power. Our king climbed a hill with the cross on his back. While the crowds chanted and mocked and soldiers whipped him, he climbed the hill to give up his power. That's the leader I want to serve. That's the leader who truly inspires, and that's the type of leader we need. You know, as as we lay the groundwork and blueprint for Mosaic to be a healthy church, we need these types of leaders all throughout the church. We need leaders who will get down on hands and knees to pick up the debris of life and serve one another. We need leaders to steward the resources of the mystery of the gospel and to sacrifice as we care for each other in our church and outside of our church. We need people who will say, you before me. Not me before you, you before me. I'm willing to lay my life down for you out of love. And so ask yourself today, whose feet can you wash today? Who who would you say they're below me? I would never do that. We just got the picture here of the God of the universe serving his disciples' feet. So who can we wash? Maybe you've already been leading like this. And let me just encourage you, God sees it. Sometimes we can can get discouraged. Is it worth it? He sees you and he will use you and he will use those works. Lastly, as we nominate more official leaders of this church, which is coming, we'll talk about more about that next week. These qualities have to be the bare minimum. 
are our leaders marked by service, by stewardship, and suffering? Are we all marked by that? Or are we simply trying to be amazing? Let's pray.